Middle Eastern weddings, Anglican, Orthodox, Catholic, Jewish, or Muslim, are quietly sublime, each followed by a boisterous procession to a reception. Having worked out the details to share a wedding with the Palestinian Orthodox priest in San Francisco, I was unprepared for his opening words. Our weddings begin, dearly beloved, we are gathered together in the presence of God. His began that day as he shouted, all right, everybody come in, sit down and shut up. That experience came to mind as I tried to make sense of today's very strange gospel. The parable of that king's marriage feast used to bug me. Unless he was having a bad day, it just didn't sound like Jesus. So it was a relief to discover it wasn't entirely. Credit Matthew for this one, at least the first half. Using a Middle Eastern wedding custom, Matthew made use of Jesus' parable as an allegory, a Greek form the Hebrew Jesus would never use. Matthew used it to comment on an event everybody knew about. You see, back then, wedding invitations came in two parts. A notice sent about the engagement and upcoming feast, and in time, an invitation to the wedding. To be invited was an honor. To show up honored the host. Trouble is, according to the parable, the people invited didn't take the invitation seriously, responded with abuse, even murder. Matthew's allegory, the king sent his troops and burned their city, equals Roman troops destroyed Jerusalem and its temple, God's judgment. But the parable continued. The king said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but as those who were invited proved to be unworthy, go to the crossroads in town and invite everyone you can find to the wedding. So these servants went out onto the roads and collected together everyone they could find, bad and good alike, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing a wedding robe. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. Now, Jesus knew that ordinary men don't own clothing just for weddings. You rent tuxes. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. Many are called, but few are chosen. What's going on here? Evidently, Jesus was talking about the wedding robe of righteousness, tzedek, whose root comes from the word meaning justice, the same Hebrew word tzedek, tzedek, which hung as a painting on the wall of Justice Ginsburg's office. I wonder how many religious people connect righteousness with justice, not merely piety. Remember the days when the church was at the forefront of the struggle for civil rights? This second half of the parable is, I believe, the voice of Jesus. And it turns out not to be about them, 
but about us, not about people who missed the point back then, but a judgment on those of us who would follow him now. For emphasis, as Bishop Lucinda reminded us last Sunday, Matthew also placed this parable after Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. He had been cheered, but things were getting tough. He was at the epicenter of religion and power. Following that heady demonstration, the excitement over, people lost interest. That is, most didn't bother to come to the wedding. Do we in the church go through the motions of piety, saying our prayers, coming to church when we can, cheering Jesus in song and Eucharist, but avoiding the front lines of tzedek, of doing what is right, doing justice? In our present time, I wonder about religion's retreat, lack of focus on justice. Seems like that's pretty basic to Jesus' message, the very base of righteousness. Now, about that golden calf, fashioned by Aaron, it was really a crude molten calf, actually a young bull. Remember that episode in Cesabita Meals, The Ten Commandments? Wipe it from your memory. This small band of escaped slaves was instructed not even to bring ceramic pots for yeast. So how could they carry enough gold to make a huge idol depicted in the movie? Collecting gold earrings, the fashion of the day, could maybe produce enough gold to melt into a figure half the size of your thumb. But that tiny, golden, molten, young bull was powerful. The cultic animal of Baal, the Canaanite god they already knew and he had many desirable dimensions. In the Hebrew mind, water equaled chaos, think Noah and the flood. Baal represented order over chaos. Sound familiar? Having recently passed through the Sea of Reeds called the Red Sea, it was easy for those Hebrews to identify with Baal's victory over the waters. Plus, Baal was the Canaanites' top fertility god, faith in the order of nature and good weather and crops, the same deity some worship Sunday mornings finding God on the golf course. Condemned by prophets through the centuries, Baal continued to influence Hebrew worship and belief. Example, since Solomon hired Phoenician architects to build the temple in Jerusalem, you might imagine who they worshipped. The entrance to the temple they built featured a gigantic bowl supported by four bulls. Hello. Baal's reality and power hit home one day during our first time in the Holy Land in 88. We were at the bottom of Armageddon, Mount Megiddo, in an area exposed by excavation, gathered round an ancient altar used for burnt offerings. Dating from 5000 BC, this mountain is really 
layers of 20 cities built one on top of the other all the way to the time of Solomon and Jeroboam. As we read one of the Canaanite liturgies, it suddenly dawned, oh my God, that's almost verbatim one of our Easter hymns. Influence on our Christian liturgies equating Easter with spring festivals, compliments of Baal. So it's easy to see that when Moses didn't show up, tardy from negotiating the Ten Commandments, Baal was their default position. Baal's influence lives today, immersed in our own culture, such as that desire for order over chaos, with no thought of justice. So, what is your golden calf? Remember, it's always homemade. It can be a very small part of your life, so personal as to be embarrassing if only people knew. But its power can detract you from precious time, energy, and the path to God you found in Jesus. Corporately, the power of Baal can be enormous. The desire for security, wealth, power, success, being famous. People reverting back to Baal when they feel God doesn't show up on demand during times of trouble. Just like happened to those ancient Hebrews, forgetting their liberation and future <clears throat> possibilities. The line between Baal and Yahweh God can be very thin. The difference between nature and nurture. Golden, molten calves and wedding feasts cut across all religious traditions, asking, are we worshiping the God of reality and love by whatever name? Or do we fashion of God of our own design? Remember in the parable, Jesus made no distinction between the good and the bad. All people everywhere welcome to the wedding. Likewise, I don't think God Almighty differentiates between religions. God's expectation, hope, and judgment going across the board. Not right beliefs, but is there loving kindness in your heart and in your actions? Are we, all religions, seeking righteousness and justice, trying to do what is right, whatever our belief system? Are we the chosen few in all religions responding as good wedding guests on this fragile earth, our island home, lest we ourselves create and fall into our own outer darkness. Tzedek, tzedek, tzedek.